the word tolerance. I mean, that used to be the word back in the days. And until you hear a lot of people talking about that, you, we should be tolerant. You know, and I'm like, oh, no, we should not. We should be respectful. We should be accepting. We should be understanding, not tolerating. Again, tolerating is a pressure cooker. At, you know, I just put up with you until I can't do it anymore. Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. On today's episode of Better Thinking, the topic is intercultural learning and cross-cultural psychology. I'm talking with clinical psychologist, and I hope I get this correct, Marcella Laportosa. And she is an incredible person, human being, who's really looking at improving this world, improving this life with regards to how people can appreciate and genuinely uh, learn about each other's cultures, backgrounds, and experiences. It's very, very fascinating to hear how she's done so, how she's changed over a lifetime and her own experiences in working with people from all uh, cultures around the world. So you're going to really enjoy this. There's a few amazing parts of, of looking at the differences between Australian culture and other cultures. Um, Marcella's Argentinian and I've got a Serbian background as well, so it's quite interesting to, to hear all the different viewpoints and, and, and perspectives, so enjoy. Welcome back to Better Thinking Podcast. Today's guest is Marcella Lapertosa. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And she is the Senior Manager of AFS Education and Development for Australia. It's absolutely wonderful to have you on the show to, to talk about intercultural learning and cross-cultural you know, psychology and awareness and respect. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Nesh, for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. Likewise, likewise. Now, before we get 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 started to to talk about these, you know, important topics about intercultural learning and how we get different cultures to appreciate each other and and the like, maybe we could start off with a little bit about um, AFS and 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 you know what is AFS and how you got involved in it and 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 you know a little bit about the organisation, what it's trying to 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 do, what it stands for, and so on. Yeah, perfect. So AFS has an interesting story. So it actually goes back way back to the First and Second World Wars. And it was a group of American men who could not join, for different reasons, could not join uh, the military. So they started driving ambulances to pick up the wounded from the field. And that's why it was called American Field Service. Now we just keep the AFS uh, for it. But this group of men, after the wars were finished, they, they started having a chat and thinking, what can we do? Um, with what we learned, what we've seen, and, you know, they saw really horrible things and they didn't want this to happen again. So they said, what is our role now moving into times of peace and how can we keep peace? So they decided to start exchanging um, students, basically bringing up German students to uh, Jewish families in the States and vice versa. And there were a few other countries involved um, involving in the beginnings. Um, and that's how the modern AFS was born, which is um, a not-for-profit, non-governmental, non-govern- vol- voluntary organization which promotes intercultural learning opportunities uh, for people to develop the skills to create a more just and peaceful world. Um, and that, in easy words, is mainly these days we exchange 12,000 students around the world every year and that involves about 8,000 host families 
and 50,000 volunteers supporting all these students and families around the world. So, and, and you were saying, how, how did I get involved? The funny thing is, well, I was a customer. <laughs> I was a student of AFS in 1994, 95. So I went from Argentina to Denmark for a one-year program in high school. And that's when my journey started. And, and I've been pretty much doing anything from early volunteering, supporting students in my local uh, chapter or city in Argentina to nowadays working at the, in Australia for the national office. And I've also worked for the headquarters of AFS International in New York. Wow. Wow. And where did you go for your uh, uh, experience, you know, cross-cultural experience? I went to Denmark. For one oh, year. Yeah. So I lived in a small, small, I don't know, I thought it was small back then, a uh, town in uh, an hour out of Copenhagen called Nesville. And I lived with a Danish family and I went to school every day. Uh, so it was, yeah, a fantastic experience. And what prompted you to go out and do something like that? Like that, that's a pretty big thing for, for, for a young person to do. Yeah, you know, I think, I would have given you a different answer if you asked me 25 years ago. <laughs> now looking back, I, you know, I've had years of processing this. And I think it's interesting because I was, I lived in a very conservative Catholic town in Argentina and my mom was Jewish and my dad was Catholic. So I was kind of the odd one out. And uh, so I also, I always was intrigued by differences and different cultures. That, that was my understanding of, of cultures at that point right so and I was always I always wanted to travel and see the world and see how people were different and behave different and yeah so I went to my mom and said I want to do this and she was like yeah well let's do it (laughs) so that's how it started I think when you're 16 17 you don't think much about what you're gonna do next you just think that something is a cool idea and you go for it right (laughs) is is that the reason when like you're 16 17 year old reason is that what it was it was was a cool thing to do a new experience something that's out of the box yeah yeah I just I met a few people who had done it or were about to do it and I was like this sounds like fantastic you know I'm gonna meet people who are different and I'm gonna learn a new language and you know it's just a completely different life and yeah I was just intrigued so and it's interesting because after when I came back from my exchange I started studying psychology and I think it was the same reasoning behind it. I was like, well, I want to understand why people think the way they do, why they behave the way they do, and why are we all different, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, so I was, I've always been intrigued by differences. And then, so I was a clinical psychologist for a long time, a, a children's psychologist. And, and then eventually I went to do my master's in cross-cultural psychology. And I was like, well, you know, I kept going and going. So I think... My early experience as a, as an exchange student and living in another culture really had a strong influence in in my whole career afterwards. Yeah. Do you think there was a predisposition for you to go down that 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 that, that space that you were a little bit more open minded or that um, you know the the on the openness scale you know you're a little bit higher? What, what do you think drew you towards that versus maybe you know an, another student? Is there something that kind of attracts people to an AFS type experience or or, or, or do you think, um, you know, AFS kind of is, is available and open and, and, and it, it can be similarly accessed by 
by all. How, how do you kind of play that idea? Yeah, I think, yeah, no, I, I hear you. I think, well, you have to be open-minded. If you, you know, you know that you're going to be, okay, I don't know if it's only open-minded. You have to be comfortable with differences or with the idea that you're going to face differences or ambiguity or, mm. you know, you have to be a bit of a risk taker. Um, I don't know if everyone who applies to go on, on on an AFS program is aware of that. You know, Again, because you're 15, 16, I don't know how aware of it you are, right? Um, but I do think that you need to, I think myself in particular, I felt like, yes, I was open-minded. I was like, you know, there has, in my head was like, there's more to the world than this, you know? And I think I wouldn't say I was born with this predisposition. You know, it's not a gene that you have. I think my family uh, was very liberal and open-minded. And, you know, they had moved from a big city like Buenos Aires to the city where I grew up. You know, they came from different cult- different religions. And so all that stuff was already going on in my family. So it was already a family that was interested in being with people who were different. So, mm. so I think that helped me think, oh. Yeah, and also there was a lot. My mom loved traveling and my grandparents loved traveling. And we had family in Israel. So all this idea that there was a world uh, was always there, you know. But I, I think when you say who, what attracts people to this, because I think it also has changed over the decades, let's say, right? I think um, there was a time where it was in the late 90s. I think it was like the cool thing to do, you know. It was like... So people who wanted just to experience something different. And then later on, it was the more academic kids who wanted to do it. And I think at some point it was like, oh, all the outgoing kids wanted to do it. But now I'm seeing more and more that actually introverted kids want to go on exchange. You know, I think, and it's because it's different different reasons. It's like you are either open-minded or ready for this, or you think that this experience is going to make you open-minded I'm ready for risk. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. I'm also, I'm also hearing that element of somewhat of, of, of not really knowing what's ahead and that there's an adventure. You know, it's kind of like saying, you know, I am open-minded to a different culture, but some of this is, is, is very adventure-driven as well, potentially. I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of guessing. It is. It is an adventure. And, and I guess, again, you know, these days it's pretty much, oh, you choose exactly the country you want to go to. But back in my days, you didn't have many choices. You had to, like, provide a list and you go where you go. I saw the extraordinary list in doing research for, for, for our chat and even a little country like Serbia, where I'm from, um, is listed. And I was like, what? You know, Serbia doesn't yeah. usually, you know, uh, uh, get the list. Um, and I was like, wow, this is incredible. Um, you know, how, how amazing. Yeah, yeah. AFS Serbia is actually quite strong. It's it's not very big, but it's very strong and, and it's a fantastic experience. Um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, we have like 60 plus countries uh, where That's you can incredible. go. I would love for participants to go to outside, think outside of the box and not just go to the top 10 that everyone wants to sure. go to. But that, again, you know. When I was 17, I could only look at those top 10, right? Of course, of course. <laughs> what else do you do? What are the top 10, like, you know, just rattle, obviously not exactly 10, but what, what, are the, what are the most, you know, um, popular ones for, for, obviously, you know, the younger folk? 
Well, the top three, right? The, the top destinations are the US, um, Italy, and Germany right now. But um, but then there's like Japan, Argentina, um, Brazil, Thailand. Um, Thailand is is not a big hosting destination, but a big sender. So mm. they send a lot of participants around the world. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. In AFS, they would like to go to Australia and New Zealand as well. But because we are an exchange organization, not an international education organization, um, there is limitation on how much students we can take in, in Australia and New Zealand. So that, that so there's a huge demand, but there's just not enough spots available. Before we go into in, in, into that space, because I, I think that, that that's interesting to try and figure out what, what you mean by you know, an uh, exchange rather than an education um, uh, provider. So hold on to that thought. Okay. Um, uh, but I had the thought that I didn't want to miss the early days because we touched on that, uh, bringing, you know, German and Jewish um, young persons together. Uh, uh, is there any anything that you've read about about how those, the, the, those programs went? Because obviously some time ago there would have been, a, you know, um, you know, a different generation, a different, um, uh, obviously, the historical freshness of, 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 of events that had occurred um, and so on. That's a brave thing to do. That, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of like, you know, groundbreaking. Well, you know what? There's plenty of evidence of the long-term bonds that were created. Uh, you know, up until these days, I can tell you stories forever. Um, because it's just a, you know, 16, 17 year old living with a family. It's just, there's a bond, there's love there. There's this relationship that grows. It's a, you know, it's a calling mom and dad people that you've never met before. Um, so that is fantastic. Um, and back in the, in the days, there was this understanding, not only for us, but pretty much for everyone who was working in, in this space. I think most of the exchange organizations were born after the war. Um, so it, there was a bit of a, a lot of the NGOs were born after the war, right? International NGOs were born after the war. So, um, the, but there was this understanding that just meeting each other or meeting someone who was different and having a bond will give you the skills, um, to navigate a complex world and to create a more just and peaceful society. Right. And in the last 20 years, I would say there's been a lot of, Research and evidence showing, well, you know what? Yes, the bond is fantastic. And yes, there is strong relationships. And yes, you know, anyone who has lived this experience says that how much it has changed their lives, right? And it has impacted the, the career you choose and, you know, sometimes the partner you choose and so many other things. But are we really changing the world? Are we really creating a more just and peaceful society? And are we really better at dealing with differences? Um, so, and, and I, I became very fascinated by this research because basically it's telling you that the contact theory, I think that's what it's, uh, you know, is that what it's called? Yeah, it's the contact theory, this idea that just the, the contact with the difference will make you change doesn't work. That, that can reinforce the stereotypes. Um, that can be your only one experience with that person from that particular group. Right. Let's say you're walking on the streets of Argentina and then you get robbed. And OK, that's what you think Argentinians are, you know, from then on. So you were in touch with someone who was different, but then that can mark 
whatever you think about that group, um, mm-hmm. you can generalize, generalize very easily, you know, and that goes for any religion or any cultural group. So, so what we've learned in AFS, but not just AFS, uh, uh, in the field of intercultural learning is that that contact needs to be reinforced by reflection. And, and not any reflection, it needs to be a facilitated reflection. And when I say that, it's like, uh, it's not only you have to have the experience, but then you need to take a step further, which is what do you make of this experience? Uh, and then once you've reflected on it, what are you going to do with this? Right? Uh, so th- that's one thing. And the other thing is the facilitation. So if, for example, let, let's pretend you are an AFS student and I'm the person, you know, you come to Australia, I'm the person looking after you and you come to me with some issues about that might be stereotypical concepts about Australians and, and instead of helping you debrief that or reflect about it and, and show you that, well, that was one Australian you met, not every single Australian and how does that compare to this or that, etc. If instead of doing that, I go, yeah, you're right, I agree with you, then there's the end of <laughs> Exactly, right? So the ho- the host families need to be, in, in, in some sense, taught how to do facilitated reflection to kind of be able to take additional perspectives, not reinforce one viewpoint, point, but rather encourage many yeah. viewpoints and, and, you know, ask the young person to think beyond that one experience. Um, and that could also be in, in a positive sense where they might say, wow, all Australians are so happy and, and you know, accommodating and, and, and wonderful. And it might be, sure, and Australia is probably no different to any other place in the world where, you know, some people can be abrupt or, you know, difficult or, you know, um, you know, we still have every every flavour and every, you know, uh, 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 experience that every other country has as well. It's not rose-coloured glasses. We're not trying to go out and, and say everyone and everything is perfect, but rather say, I want you to see the, the, the breadth, the gamut of, of, of human experience irrespective of culture but obviously in breaking cultural stereotypes yeah, and absolutely and and you know what the stereotypes are both negative and positive yes, it can yes. go either way right and it's also we always talk in afs about the concept of the iceberg as as a metaphor for culture right and you can live five years in a different culture and never go underneath the tip of the iceberg you know you you just you just see what's on the surface you know what people eat what they how they behave what music they like, how they dress up, etc. But you never wonder about their values or why they do what they do. And, and that's where the real intercultural learning happens. Uh, when you can go to the you know cold waters of the iceberg and, and start exploring those concepts. And you don't need to be there for three years. You know, that's something that can happen in a very short period of time is if it's been properly designed and properly facilitated. And I love that you mentioned the families because so about five years ago, a bit, a bit more, I would say about 10 years ago, we did a study with AFS and Dr. Mitch Hammer, um, where we realized that our students were improving. So they, they, they would go for a year on exchange program. And yes, they would improve their intercultural skills, but it wouldn't be a massive change in their intercultural skills. And so when we started looking at the data, we, we realized that, well, we are putting all our efforts on the, on the student, but what about the family where the student spends, 
you know, 90% of their time. They're with the families, they're not with us. What about the school where they spend the rest of their time? And, and then also the volunteers. So IFS is a volunteer organization. So every student is assigned a volunteer support uh, person, someone who helps them facilitate this experience, um, you know, go, take that learning to, to the, the next level. So then we realized, well, there are all these players that we need to be working with. Otherwise, that, that very deep um, intercultural learning is not going to happen. And that's when we came up with all these different learning programs, right? Not only for the student, but for the host family and for the volunteer. And, um, and it's amazing how we've started seeing change already, how the students are really improving, how, how much they're connecting with the learning and with the experience. I don't know if you're familiar with the um, developmental model of intercultural sensitivity, um, but it's a model developed by Milton Bennett, and it's a model that, that, that tells you how people react to differences, and, and basically the reactions go anywhere from denial, where you basically, you can't see it, right? You, you don't care about it, you don't see it, you just ignore it, right? And there's plenty of evidence of people traveling around the world and just not seeing the differences, right? They go and eat at McDonald's in every country they go sure. to. <laughs> You know, I can see you smiling and going, yeah, I know those people, right? And they can't be bothered with the differences. And then the next step in the continuum will be when you're in polarization. Because the, the difference is so uh, threatening that you polarize everything. It's, it's them versus us. And that can be, again, positive or negative. So it can be, like, I'm superior to you. Like, I don't understand how these people live like this. Um, what sort of culture is this? That's why they, you know, they live like this. Et so very judgmental about the others being worse than you. But it can also take the other, the other way, which is, I wish I was like them. This culture is amazing. Uh, I want to live here. This is the best country in the world, and I can't see anything faulty with it, right? But still, even though it sounds positive, it's still the us versus them dynamic. And that's where the world is in at the moment. We are in this us versus them uh, dynamic. And then we have the third step in the continuum, which is the minimization. And that's where, yes, the, the difference is there and it's threatening, but instead of polarizing, what we do is we just focus on the similarities. That's our coping strategy with differences. And this is how most of the you know, exchange organizations or international education started in the, in the 50s, right? This thinking that we need to come together and focus about what we have in common. And that's gonna fix it, right? Let's focus on the, on the, on the similarities. That's, and, and it's a good thing, it's a great thing because we are looking at the positives, right? But it's not, not long lasting. Mm. At some point, the difference still emerge. You can't ignore the differences. It's like, assimilation in a culture, you know, at some, it's like a pressure cooker. At some point, those differences are going to show, you know, you can't ignore them. And they're important because they're values differences, right? And then you have the, the next step, and I'll wrap it up here, but I, I want to give you a sense of this. So the next steps is um, acceptance, which is when, yeah, the differences are still there, but they're not threatening anymore. I understand that the differences are because of values, that there are deeper roots to the differences. I'm curious about it, I want to learn about it, um, and I can engage in dialogue. I, I don't want to ignore them, I don't want to fight them, I don't want to minimize them. 
I want to be part. And that's where the world should be leading, right? That's what we need to make a more just and peaceful world. Uh, but what, what the studies were showing is that our students were getting to minimization, which is a nice way, place to be, but we weren't moving them towards acceptance. Absolutely. And I'm just thinking as you're talking about my, my family migrating to, to, to Australia and I, I think I very clearly remember, you know, uh, polarization comments from, from mum and dad that I would then adopt, you know, and it was, you know, us versus them and, and, yeah. and the them were Australians and, and, and the us were, we were the Serbians, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, or to broaden it, we ended up becoming, you know, the, the Europeans or the word that we would use here at school were the WOGs. The wogs. Uh, the wogs, uh, you know, wogs versus skips. <clears throat> okay. uh, I mean, we used to play soccer, you know, wogs versus skips to see who wins, you know, but there is a very much a polarization. And although that was played with a bit of jest later, later on and obviously some humor to it, but, you know, then, then I remember my, 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 my parents sort of moving more to that minim, minimization, focusing on similarities. And in, in, in actual fact, being somewhat, I, I remember you know, mum making a comment about, you know, like the, the space of, uh, like having canapes at a party rather than having to go out and make this big spread of, you know, uh, antipasto and soups and the main dish and desserts and, you know, cake and so going, you know, maybe these, maybe these, these odd, you know, strange Aussies know what they're, they're, they're doing. That, that sounds pretty damn, damn, damn good. And, and, you know, and these days, um, but, you know, we, we're talking, 1982 to, to, to now, I don't know how many years that is off the top of my head, but it's taken a long time and I really see this acceptance feature. Um, you know, it's almost like, you know, mum and dad, and, and it's not that they almost, I, I, I think they, they, they call Australia just as much home as they do Serbia. Um, you know, Serbia was the home that they came from and now they their home is Australia and maybe they have two homes, you know, in, some, in, 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 in their mind, but... There's this amazing acceptance, but it's taken a lifetime. I mean, it, it's taken a whole generation in, in in some sense that they've probably, and I can't obviously speak for my parents, but they've wrestled with it. And I know as a young person myself, I didn't know which camp I belonged in. You know, I, I speak Serbian at home. I've, I do, you know, English as a second language at school. And, you know, in my eyes, I looked different even though I didn't, but in my eyes, I did, you know, and that I somehow didn't, didn't fit in and... You know, you initially go out and say, "Well, polarization. I'm Serbian, so you know, I I, I identify as Serbian." And then later on, completely kind of pushing Serbian away, and you know, no, 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 I'm, I'm Aussie. I'm not Serbian. The Serbians are, you know, are terrible, and you know, I don't want anything to do with that culture. It's a polarization in the other direction, and you know, as an older person, kind of going, in actual fact, I I, I love both. You know, and, and, and I accept, you know, the, the, the beauty in both and, and, and the the shortcomings and the, the, the challenges in both. You know, I'm, I'm an Aussie with, 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 with amazing heritage and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of both and um, I can play both. I, I can be as, as much Aussie as I like and I can be as much Serbian as I like. Yeah. You know, I've, I've got I've got some different sort of shades of, of, of character and being. Um, it, it's quite fascinating to be in the, in the centre of, of all of it and, and maybe not in the center, but, you know, moving through it, I suppose. It's actually not the center. It, it, it's being on the edge, then in the middle, then on the side, then yeah. you know, you're kind of just evolving and moving. You don't know where the hell you are, but uh, oh, no. try, trying to kind of, at least as you say, reflect. I know, but I'm loving because you just 
gave me a perfect life story of how this model worked, right? And I always see it, it, it the second generation is, and you gave me the example again, is very much affected by this because your parents went through a process. But I always think, can we help these young kids early on, you know, to understand that they're both? You don't have to drop your Serbian identity. You don't have to drop your Australian identity because you have both. You have a gift. So, and that's fantastic. And you shouldn't be ashamed of that. You should be proud of that. And I love how you were describing, you know, now you know the shortfalls in both of them. And you know the strength in both of them. And you can also adapt your behavior to both of them. You know, if you go to your mom's house, you don't behave the same as if you go or not to... uh, an Aussie friend at house, right? You know where to, how to behave where, right? Mm. And that's the, fa- the fascinating part of this. You know, we've been re- recently doing some workshops at schools in Victoria with a primary kids, year six students. We were doing some workshops on intercultural capabilities. And I found it fascinating that in a multicultural classroom, some kids didn't even know that the kid sitting next to them was from Thailand. Wow. And I was like... That was year six? Year six students. So, because we would do an activity where everyone had to bring an object from home, which showed their culture, right? And it was beautiful because you had all of them being very proud of something that their moms or their grandmas gave. One of the kids brought some cookies that he, he baked with his nonna. And it was just beautiful. And a Chinese girl brought a, a brush to do Chinese calligraphy. It was just a beautiful moment to watch where they were all proud of what their heritage, right? But then at the end of the round, after that, one of the girls said, wow, I didn't know he was from Thailand. So what made me think is we have a multicultural society, we have a multicultural classrooms, but we are not having the conversations. Mm-hmm. We are coexisting, but not engaging. And, and you know, I always see this this you know, uh, agencies called Multicultural This, Multicultural Queensland, Multicultural New South Wales, Multicultural Events. I want to have intercultural events. <laughs> you know, I want to have an office for intercultural affairs, not multicultural affairs. What because... do you mean by that? What do you mean about the, di- <laughs> the difference between those two? Because that's an important distinction. It is because multiculturalism is the coexistence of differences. Right? There is like 10 different groups coexisting in the same space, but they're not interacting much. They're not engaging. They're not having conversations. It's just about coexisting. And intercultural societies are those who allow you to show your culture, but also learn the local culture and also learn the other cultures that are around you. You know, it allows for you to, to kind of bring difference to the surface. And, and, and be proud of the differences and, and be ready to learn about the differences, not just and go underneath the, the, the tip of the iceberg. It's not just the food at the multicultural festival. That's tip of the iceberg. You know, I've, I've, I've tried Serbian food. I've tried Italian food. I've tried Korean barbecue. You know, what do you think about the Serbian food? It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Hey. Hey, I'm, I'm Argentinian, so we have this Euro- European background, right? <laughs> Let me tell you, I, have, I had a group of Indonesians these last three weeks in Brisbane. They don't think Turkish, Serbian, or Greek food are any good. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, I was t- saying, oh, that's delicious. You know, I love the Metze Plata and all that. 
And they were like, that's no food. <laughs> what is that? What is that? <laughs> Where's the rice? <laughs> but, but that's the thing. It's tip of the iceberg, you know? But what do we know about the values? What do we know about the history? Yeah. What do we know about how they live here, you know? So I think that's, that's a huge difference. You know, I always, I love the concept of empathy. Um, you know, most times people think that empathy is like the golden rule. You know, the golden rule is you treat others the way you want to be treated. Right? That's what every Christian has learned in this life. But that's not empathy. Empathy should be the platinum rule, which I love this concept of the platinum rule, which is treat the others they want, the way they want to be treated. And, and that takes extra skills. That takes extra understanding. That takes extra effort. That means you really need to get to know the other person. You really need to understand where that person comes from to really be able to treat them the, one, the, the way they want to be treated, right? And that doesn't mean, because sometimes people go, oh, well, then my values don't matter here. No, yes, they do. Because hopefully the other person will do the same, you know? And it doesn't mean you need to drop your identity. No, you, you should be Serbian and Australian and be proud of being both. Mm. You know, in the old times... And the huge migration of the, you know, beginning of the century, it was all about assimilating. It was another time. There was no internet, no phones, no nothing, right? I'm thinking of all the immigrants in Argentina. There was no chance of staying in touch with your family, right? So it's like, and if you wanted to become Australian or Argentinian or American, it was all about learning the language, make your kids, you know, don't speak the language, your original language at home because your kids need to be Australian or need to be Argentinian. And then over the years, every government and every researcher realized that that doesn't work, that confuses children, you know, that why shouldn't I speak the language of my parents? It doesn't mean I shouldn't be proud of them. Why shouldn't I be proud of them? Um, you know, so well, it's it fascinating. Uh, my my wife, when when um, her family uh, came to Australia, my wife was born here in Australia, but they've got a Polish um, background. Uh, my um, uh, in laws chose to give my wife uh, uh, a, a Polish name, but 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 make it um, an Australian. So rather than Natalia, it became Natalie. Okay. You know, and, and that was such a beautiful thing to do because it said, I'm going to protect you from judgment, you know, that, that yeah. you know, because we, we want to give you the best. And when we think about it, my, my wife changed her name back to Natalia. Um, but that comes from a different world, you know. Uh, 1982 is a very, very, very different um, – well, 84 when, when, when my wife was born um, – was a very, very different world to 2020 that, you know, is just around the corner. And, and you know, there's a huge difference, you know, as to even this idea about, you know, multicultural versus intercultural. And, yeah. you know, intercultural is more of a we word – rather than uh, multicultural being a, a, still a them word, you know, like yeah, yeah, we yeah. have them in our culture and we we kind of um, tolerate them, you know, versus we accept them. They're, as a matter of fact, they are part of us. It's an oh. us-ing game, you know, it's, a, it's an acceptance game rather than a tolerance game. Oh, I love that you bring, brought up the word, the word tolerance. I mean, that used to be the word back in the day. And until you hear a lot of people talking about that, you, we should be tolerant. You know, Crazy, and I'm like, well, no, we should not. We should be respectful. We should be accepting. We should be understanding, not tolerating. 
again, tolerating is a pressure cooker. But, you know, I just put up with you until I can't do it anymore. Uh, yeah, no, it's a complete, I, I love the example of your wife because, you know, it's not the same Natalia than Natalie. It's not. And it's, and of course, parents were coming from a place of love and protecting their children. And, and they felt that the best future they could give their children was, you know, they become, you know, turn them into as Australian as possible, right? But not realizing that, you know, the best version of Natalia was, both Polish and Australian. <laughs> well, it's quite it's quite funny. Even when I um was was naming my my um daughters and and we gave each of them a middle name um with uh, uh, uh each of their grandmothers um and my my mother's name Danica. You know, it's a very strong Serbian, beautiful name, gorgeous um, name. And and but the moment you put in you know a middle name Danica and a and a, and a Nikolic, you know. All of a sudden, the whole thing becomes this big Nikola, big big Serbian name. It's like, you know, she's she's the uh, closest thing that that my family has to being Australian. You know, like she's the third generation now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but she's got probably one of the heaviest, you know, um, uh, one of the heaviest uh, Serbian names. And, and it's like, but this is now going to be celebrated. You know, so she she will really? go to a very very different experience. A different school and her experience will be, you know, vastly different than it probably was, you know, back when I went through. Or obviously the fear of, you know, what our parents would have would have, you know, feared or, or expected, you know, might occur in, in those schools. So it's it's fascinating to see yeah. this space move, as you say, from from basically, you know, the world wars to to to, to now how AFS has has evolved. Yeah, you know it's interesting. I so I'm married to an I'm Argentinian, married to an Australian, and the same with my kids. I give them both. The first name is a Spanish name, and the second one is an English name. Um, so Catalina May and Franco Luke, right? Uh, I mean, and you can hear Franco is a bit Italian as well, but that's the Italian background <laughs> in Argentina. But um, but for me that was very very important because by the time I had kids, I was very conscious about all these things. So I wanted to make sure that they had the two names in their identity. Because we are psychologists, we know how important names are. Names are a big part of who you become. You know, it's not just a random word. So I was very intentional about that. And also now, you know, I speak Spanish to them. And it's funny that both of my kids were slow to start speaking English. And then one of the, the daycares that they went to told me, oh, maybe because you speak too much Spanish, kind of telling me I shouldn't do it, <laughs> right? Yeah. And the other one was like, oh, it's fantastic. Don't worry. Keep speaking Spanish, right? And I didn't care because I knew the theory that all bilingual kids are slower to start speaking. But once they do, they speak two languages. And I just thought, how many moms have been told over the years to stop speaking their native language? And how bad that is for any children's development, you know, the any children should be spoken in the language of love, right? And the language of love is your mother tongue. It's not another language. And and I just wish every single immigrant or, you know, um, expat uh, in the world would know that. You know, your language of love is your mother tongue. Don't speak to your kid in another language because the, the one you have is the, the important one. Why do you think we hide from all these things? You know, why Why do you think as a young boy I, you know, at, at a period I rejected 
yeah. my, 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 my Serbian heritage. What, what, what do you think? Obviously, you know, you, you work with so many, you know, uh, young persons and, and families and, 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 you know, families that, that open up their homes, you know, uh, yeah. what, what is it that, that makes us reject um, difference, you know, that, that, that we, 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 we see different and we kind of almost be threatened by what, 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 what do you think? What are your... Well, I think why we reject it as, as children is because we want to belong. We want to belong. And if, we, if the society we want to belong to doesn't love differences, then you have to erase them. You know, so that's why I think it is starting to be a different world, especially here in Australia. So if, the school, if you would go to school now, your daughter, for example, goes to school now, it's a different school. It's a school that is asking kids what language, what other languages they speak. It's asking kids to share something about their language. It's, it's schools are asking them to share about their culture. It's bring your parents, bring your grandmothers to tell us about where they come from. So if you are in an environment that is celebrating that, you won't be ashamed. You won't hide. The opposite, you will be proud. And that's the environment we need to create in schools that we didn't have in the 80s or 90s, you know? So I think that that's one of the reasons children don't hide a bit. And, you know, my, my kids are pretty much, at, at some point when, when my first daughter started school, and I would be speaking Spanish in front of other people, she would just like go, no, 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 like don't do it, right? But I didn't care. I just kept talking and... You know, and now she loves it, and now it's her thing. And every time she goes, we go to Argentina, she comes back, show and tell it's about Argentina. And everyone knows she speaks Spanish, and everyone knows that we are the Argentinians. These are the kids from other cultures. But it's, it's, it's not that multicultural, the school we go to. But um, I just think, and for your parents, think about our parents. They wanted to belong. They wanted us to belong. They want the best for, for us, and that means... You need to be as Australian as possible. You need to go native. I call it go native, you know, like when you go full Australian <laughs> to the extreme, you know. So now about difference, I think we, there is a lot of research about, and I, I'm not an expert in this at all. Let me just <laughs> do the disclosure here about early in life, um, how animals react to differences. You know, like facial recognition or, you know, what's, perceived as being threatening is something that doesn't look like you. You know, so it is a, a, like a human-like reaction to, to differences, to, to, some, to, to the unknown. Is, is, it, like, is, it, you know? is it that an animal doesn't, um, uh, is afraid of what doesn't look like them because the first thing they see, they see as what they believe they look like because obviously animals don't have mirrors. Mirrors, no, right? yeah. But if they see mum and mum has got fur on her face and exactly. so on and so forth, and let's just call it a dog, um, the dog goes out and sees that and, and says, I therefore must be that. That's mum. Uh, yeah. you know, that's safe. So that, that's, safe. that's a safe yeah, face. So, so the, the, these animals that look like these are the ones who are feeding me and looking after me and protecting me. All of a sudden there is another one that shows up that doesn't look like this. So there is a reaction, right? And usually mum's face is also a smiling face. You know, the, it's it's not only a a face that's, um, you know, uh, uh, that, that I know I'm safe with, but it, it's positioned in a particular way that tells me I know that to be safe, and whether that's a smiling or whether it's yeah. one of, of um, 
uh, you know, maybe it's oozing love or, or you know, um, I don't know. Yeah, you're probably just oozing love all the time. Um, yeah. So I don't know what the, the face of love looks like, but but I'm sure children do. And, oh, and, yeah, yeah. And they know what that gaze looks like and what that, 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 that sensation. But uh, anything beyond that at least starts to trigger, is this safe or not? And so there's this belonging and, and belonging means sticking to my tribe. Yeah, 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 absolutely. There is a tribe. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think, you know, I see it again with international students here. There is, you know, Australia is one of the main destinations of international students in the world. Um, together with US and UK, you know, massive destination. And and I always see all these reports about the contribution that international education does to the economy, right? $4 billion to the economy, thousands of jobs, blah, blah, blah. I just wish we start seeing reports of how good international education is for our societies. Yeah. You know, I just want to see. Yeah, we know we it's for the that. economy. Yeah. We don't measure that, right? I want to see how much our societies are changing because of that, you know, but I'm not sure they are. That's my, that's my concern because you go around here, you know, the biggest groups of, of international students are from Asia. And, you know, you can hear the stereotypes on the other side about the international students hanging out together, not speaking English. You know, it's like it used to happen with the immigrants at some point, and now it's all about, you know, also the international students because there are big numbers of them. And and all the stereotypes about, oh, yeah, they're good at math or they're here for the degree. That's right. Or- they're, they're, they're rich, they're good at math, they're going to go into medicine or law. You they don't know, want to integrate. That's what it is, right? You know, that that's the Asians, you know, leave them alone. Yeah. And every time I hear stuff like that, I cringe. I'm like, here we have a massive opportunity. We have thousands, thousands, like I think like half a million of international students in Australia these days in schools, at universities, um, yeah, in students' residence, in families, um, at at work, this could really change. It's changing the face of Australia, but it could really change our societies, you know. And and I don't think we are putting enough effort on that yet. I'm starting to see some glimpses of mm, we need to do more about it. I'm starting to see, you know, FS News. FS, sorry, no. Um, Education New Zealand published a strategy last year, and it's the first international education strategy that has global citizenship as one of the three main areas. And I was like, he's fantastic. You know, it's not just about go to another country and get a degree in another country or learn a language and meet people. It's about what are you going to do with that? What are the skills that you're going to develop? How are you going to change the world after this? You are privileged. You know, everyone who has had an international experience is a privileged person. So how are we gonna, what are we going to do with this? And I'm, 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 Australia is also moving towards that. Um, there's a lot of um, strategies coming out now around global competence. And what so that's that mean? Good. What does that mean? <laughs> well, global competence is basically intercultural competence plus the action. I call it. That, that's that's my my simple way of explaining it. But but let me go a bit deeper on that. So <clears throat> excuse me. So global competence is there's three components. One is um, the understanding the world that you live in, understanding that the world is inter- interconnected, understanding the issues 
that are affecting the world. The second component is being able to interact effectively and appropriately with those who are different to you. And that's the intercultural competence component of it. And the third piece is taking action for a better world. So you know what the world is about. You know what are the main issues. You know how to interact with those who are different and you respect differences. Then you need to take action uh, for the for the common good, right? And so that's global competence. And it's very much linked to the sustainable development goals uh, that the UNESCO has set for 2030, which is a set of 17 uh, areas that cover anything from access to education, to clean water, climate change issues, etc. Um, so it's not just take action on anything, but take action on these issues that are really pressing the world. Um, and I'm not sure if you, you're familiar with the PISA test. Uh, the PISA is a, so it's, it's an assessment by the OECD um, that, uh, you know what you hear in the news every couple of years, there is a big wave of people on the news talking about this because it's the, the assessment that compares uh, educational rankings around the world. So how well the kids do in math, science, language, etc. So and, and once in a while there is a conversation about how the Singaporeans are the best, how the African countries do poorly, where is Australia sitting in, in this ranking. So, so it's a worldwide ranking um, assessing education, right? And last year, they started measuring global competence oh, as one wow. of the key skills. Yes. And, you know, and it was fascinating because I think it's, there's not a perfect tool to measure global competence, sure. right? There's not a perfect tool. Competence is a combination of knowledge, skills, and attitudes, and values. Some people would say, the Europeans would say values. But it's really hard to measure in a sit-down test for a year nine student, right? But the fact that they are measuring is putting, the, it's putting it in the agenda. It's saying this is an important skill. So not only you need to be good at math uh, or language, you also need to be good at global competence. Um, and interesting because it was optional. Some countries opted out. Uh, Isn't that fascinating? Which countries? Which countries? Mm, I don't want to say. <laughs> I, I don't know. Ho I don't hopefully know. not Serbia. <laughs> no, 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 I don't know about Serbia. But I think at, at the beginning, I think USA was one of them. But uh, I have to go back to the recent data. But when it was recently announced, I think UK and USA were opted out. Um, of it. Isn't that interesting? Maybe they were afraid of what it might look like, that it might, might go and say, hey, we need to do better. I mean, I, I, I'm actually excited by doing poorly, you know, because if, if you do poorly, it says something and it says, hey, great, you know, we're really ordinary in this. Um, and because we haven't looked at it, you know, before, this is a good opportunity to do something about it. And, and rather than going out and saying, well, you know, if you don't measure it, it doesn't exist. Exactly. But that's why I loved it because I was, you know, of course, it's not going to be good results for anyone, but doesn't matter. We have a benchmark. You know, we say, OK, this is what we see. We need to improve that. Um, and that's why I thought fascinating. I think they have, the results haven't been out yet. I think they're going to be at the end of this year. But I would love to see. It. And then, But the good thing is that then, like the Department of Education in Queensland is about to launch their new strategy and a huge component is global competence. Um, and I know that similar ministries of education around the world are doing it. So 
they did put the issue on the on the agenda and and governments are worrying about it and you know and we should worry when we th- see things like Christchurch or any attack anywhere based on differences being cultural or religion difference we should be worried we it's telling us that we haven't done a great job with our society so we should be doing more um so it's good that you know we are taking on the challenge and will it be perfect not right away will we know what the answer to everything is probably not but we are trying and we are giving the message that we are trying and it's important you know for kids it's like yeah, good if you're good at math, but that's not going to change the world. <laughs> Absolutely, and we're, we're we're not saying that one's you know better and better than another. We're we're saying they're all valuable. Maths is valuable, yeah. English is valuable, you know, art and science is is, is exactly. valuable, you know, and 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 having global competence and you know, uh, intercultural. Uh, you know, appreciation and, and, and understanding respect is important yeah. and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The, it's not one or the other. We It's almost like every time human beings touch something, we categorize it and then it becomes a all or nothing and us it's or them, that. you know. It, it, it says, you know, if you add another category, then you're going out and diminishing the others. And it's like, oh, you know, we, we just keep falling back into the same same yeah. Um, problems. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I- Perfect, perfectly said. I can't add anything to it because it's exactly that, right? Um, and also I was thinking, um, you know, about the host families, you know, or homestays. Um, sometimes they call it homestays, but, you know, there's thousands and thousands of Australian families out there who have an international student in their homes. And there's not much being done with them. You know, it, the, still the, the strong focus is on the student. Um, because the student seems to be the customer, you know, the customer of the school, the customer of the university, the customer of all the organizations. Um, what about the families? You know, they have someone very different to them in their homes 24-7. Um, yes, they are bonding most of the times, um, but we could be doing more. We could be doing way more. And I think sometimes it sounds like a too big of a task. Um but, but we have to do it. And, you know, we do it in AFS and, and we're very proud of that. What can we be doing that, 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 that's more? What are some of the practical things that, you know, listeners could, could, could take away? You know, how, how can I do it better? You know, and, and, you know, I've maybe had some, some greater exposure than others in, in, you know, whether it be my own life or having traveled, you know, overseas, you know, what, what can we do better? I always say, just be curious. Don't be afraid of being curious. You know, I, I know that sounds a bit abstract, but practical examples. You know, I had a group of students recently from Indonesia, and they were saying um, a few things. Like, I, I identified that they weren't being very direct in their communication, um, and they were also very afraid of dogs because dogs um, it's not common to have dogs as pets in Indonesia. And and also they didn't. So there were three things: the communication the dogs and um, eating with a knife. So they eat with fork and spoon, right, in Indonesia. They don't know how, they usually don't know how to use a knife. So I basically what I, I thought is like, there is an opportunity here. So I actually send a WhatsApp message to all of them and say, homework for today at the dinner table, I want you to talk to your family about these three things. 
I want you to show them how to eat with a fork and a spoon, and I want them to teach you how to use the knife. And I also want you to talk to them about the dogs. What do dogs mean in your culture? Why are you afraid of them? Are you allowed to touch them or you are not allowed to touch them? What's the relationship between dogs and Islam? Um, because they, they were telling me some stories. So bring up the conversation. And I want you to learn more about how important the pet is in the house and what does a pet mean for the family? Uh, and the third thing was like communication. What does it mean when you say yes? And ask them what does it mean when they say yes? You know, it was three very simple things that it could have been just an anecdote, like, oh, yeah, my, I don't know how to use the knife, you know, oh, yeah, my family, my, my student always says yes, yes, but he doesn't mean it. And it could have just been that, you know, a sure. funny comment. But why it not take the extra step? It could have been a three-hour conversation about, you know, the – you know, what, what, what it means to go out and say yes and, and the respect and how you hold people of different, you know, ages or, or, or genders yeah. or God knows what, you know, like it could have been this huge and it most likely, you know, um, would have been if, if there was curiosity in Absolutely. that space. And most of them did have the two-hour conversation because next day I heard from the families, oh, you know what, we were talking with this about that. I was like, yes. So, yeah, it's a curiosity. It's like, and also I think what I've noticed is people sometimes are a bit afraid of asking, feeling that asking will be disrespectful. So better not to ask. But then when you don't ask, you're stuck with your stereotype, with your perception, what you think is the truth, right? There was also a, um, a long conversation about if you sleep with the lights on or the lights off. Uh, you know, these basic things can trigger long conversations. So what we did, we did in AFS, actually, when we created the host family journey, we call it the host family intercultural learning journeys, we created these two or three questions every month that are sent to the student and the family to start conversations. And it could be anything from, what does it mean when you're in your room with the door shut? Ah, yes. And then, you get the family and the student to answer the question individually and they come together and have a chat. What That's does it beautiful. mean? Yeah, so when when you are embarrassed for something you did and you want to make amends, what do you do? Right? So all these things are, are simple questions but are based on intercultural learning theories of the things that create conflict between differences like communication styles, you mentioned hierarchy, you know, the distribution of power. Um, the difference between collectivist and individualist societies, um, you know, if the emphasis is in the I or in the we, um, all those things. So, so, you know, there's no reason why all universities and all schools with international students shouldn't be doing that. It's fascinating yeah. because uh, this, this, this intercultural sort of, you know, awareness and appreciation, you know, in, in so many levels can be reflected in, in – every single home in your street, your neighbor, you know, because we all have a culture yeah. in our home, you know, and, and if I think about it ju ju just for myself, there's this really important big meeting about, meaning about how you say goodbye to friends who are leaving your home. And for me, 
you know, it's really, really important for me to walk every guest out um, and walk them to their car and, and to stand there until they drive off and to keep waving, you know, as they drive off. The, and it's all about respect. It's all about saying you are important and I respect you and I care for you. And, and it doesn't matter if it's freezing cold, if it's, you know, raining, if it's blowing a gale, it's important that I do so. But having kind of you know uh, seen my wife's uh, approach I have more flexibility and flu- fluidity in how I might approach that and so it, it I can change it I can I can vary it and and it's not easy to do so um, but even something as small as that you know how how tied up it is in in us you know I have this kind of it, it just feels like I'm just saying, all right, bye, get out of my house if I don't walk the person all the way out. When in actual fact, it doesn't mean anything. It just, just means bye. Um, but in my head, no, you know, my experience, does. my feeling, you know, there's so much more. So, you know, those questions that you say uh, are just so pointed because it just goes out and opens up, you know, this curiosity and, and, and kind of understanding what does it mean. And, and, and I'm sure not every single Serbian human being, it, it's it, this is probably, you know, the culture of what was in, in my household. Um, you know, it's not a Serbian thing. Um uh, it's it, it it's a you know Nikolic household thing um, yeah. that you know I remember that we always did um, and it was it, it was important to do so um, but uh, not that anyone ever said it was important it was just how it was always done and I knew what it meant or well, at least I think I knew what it meant but it's fascinating yeah but that's the point you know what culture is passed on generation after generation without explanation. Yes. You know, it's like no one gives you a book of what your culture is. You just <laughs> go into it, right? And, you know, sometimes people say that culture is the water to the fish. You don't know how important it is until you get your head out of the water and you can't breathe. Yes. So you grow into it. You just know how to do it. And most of the times, unless you're faced with different cultures, you don't even, you lack self-awareness sometimes. You know, self-awareness is the, the number one step in developing intercultural understanding. You first need to know who you are and what's important to you before you go into others, right? So we always say there's three steps. One is the self-awareness, then the awareness of others, and then is the building the bridge between you and the others. Um, so self-awareness is key. And I, lo- I was just thinking when you were saying about how you say goodbye to people. Actually, I never thought of that as a topic but now that you brought it up i'm going to start asking people how they say goodbye <laughs> and, and there might be an issue because i get frustrated with my husband sometimes i take so long to say goodbye so maybe there is something about it that i'm not seeing um but for example we do argentinian barbecues are very well known for a lot of meat you and know they're delicious i can tell you <laughs> but, but it's also a very social cultural event you know, it's a big thing on Sundays in Argentina. You know, it starts with, you know, 7 a.m., going to shop for the meat, come back, start the fire. The fire takes a few hours to be ready before you put the meat on. You know, the meat takes a few hours to be cooked. Anyway, it's, it's a long process. But so my husband built an Argentinian barbecue in our backyard. And when we first moved to Australia, when we first had the barbecue, that was like eight years ago, it was in, I started noticing the differences in 
if we had a group of Argentinians coming to the barbecue or a group of Australians coming to the barbecue. And I started making a bit of a joke about it. But now I'm so good at changing my behavior depending on who comes. Because the first time we had Argentinians for, for a barbecue lunch, it was all the time was 6 p.m. And my husband said, what time are they leaving? Because I need to mow the lawn. And I just started laughing. Like, I don't know. You know when they come, I know when they go. You know, there's no finish time. Yeah, there's oh, no rules here about finishing. <laughs> you go when you go, you know, when there's no more food. I don't know. And and then the Australians, it's like clockwork. As soon as they finish dessert, they disappear. You know, it's just magic. And so at first, I was offended that people left right after dessert, you know. But then, you know, I adapted and I started understanding, you know. And I started asking, you know, when is the right time to leave? And people were saying, it is polite to leave after dessert. You don't want to overstay. You don't want to offend your host by abusing their hospitality, you know. Whether for Argentinians is the longer you stay, the more polite you're being. Because yeah, it's you're an showing- insult to leave early. It, it, it's like, exactly. you know, we, 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 we've prepared all day for this, you know, and th- 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 this is served for you. <laughs> Host, you're a good host. I want to stay here forever. Exactly. And then another thing is about the um, when Argentinians come, I turn on the fridge. I, ha- I have full stock for children and and drinks, etc. Uh, because Argentinians just come, you know. If they have children, you know, they expect you to feed the children as well, right? But when Australians come, I don't need to turn on the fridge because everyone brings their own esky <laughs> with all their drinks and their eyes and their food for their kids. You know, and they live with Esky again. So it's just like the expectation. You know, the Argentinians somehow there is this unwritten or unspoken expectation that I'm going to look after them, every single one of them in every single aspect. And that means that they owe me. And eventually I will go to their house and I will bring nothing because I've done it for them. I can be maybe in 20 years. It can be next week. You know, it's just an unspoken rule. That's the reciprocity of the yeah you know but australians no it's just they have to bring something and every time i said don't bring anything they just can't take it you know they will bring something doesn't matter how many times i say um because there is then there is like okay we're we are even right um you know i brought this you brought this we're all even that's my understanding however i've had some conversations with australians and we have a good chat and a good laugh about all these issues because, like you said, all Australians are different. And some of them will go, well, I would stay way after dessert. And the others are go, no, 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 you have to leave after dessert. Anyway, so it's just, you know what, intercultural learning um, it, it's not easy because you need to get out of your comfort zone. You need to be a bit brave, you know, in asking questions and being curious and, and being brave about, you know, being embarrassed sometimes, doing the wrong thing. But it can also be a lot of fun and, and very rewarding, very rewarding. Like, you know, I would tell people, next time you're in a room full of people different to you, go and engage, you know. Is it Christmas? Is it Christmas party at, at work? Go and ask how they celebrate Christmas. Does Santa come on the 24th or the 25th? Who brings dessert in the family? When do you put up your Christmas tree? Do you have a Christmas tree? Do you celebrate Christmas? If you don't, what is the main celebration in your family? And I can tell you, Santa comes on the twenty. Uh, sorry, on the seventh of January. I know, in Serbia. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's when we do Christmas. 
No, but it's the Three Kings come on the 6th of January in Argentina. You know, do you have the Three Kings? Oh, I don't know, actually. Oh. Oh, I don't know what the Kings so do. 7th, um, 7th of January, you see? So there's a fascinating conversation beyond weather. What's the weather like? Absolutely, absolutely. I think we could talk for 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 forever, but I think that 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 you know one of the big takeaway messages for for me is to try and you know be embracing, to be curious, to try and find out more. It's not just about you know exposure to or contact with with other people from from other cultures, but rather more of a intercultural, you know, uh, experience where it's us, you know, we, we share a conversation of curiosity and understanding um, and, and not necessarily try and uh, achieve anything, but, you know, learn and find out more and, and through that is the mechanism of of appreciation or, or acceptance if we can call it um that and 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 you know it, it it's one thing to do an exchange program where you're just in a country rather than you're part of you know that family and that experience and that that, that immersion but to, to to find out more rather than to look for you know differences or similarities it's actually t- to be curious and because as you're curious you question your own stuff as well absolutely oh that was a beautiful summary yeah be you know what be brave be curious and suspend judgment you know be there for for the learning for the engagement and you know you will surprise yourself absolutely how can people find out more about afs if they're interested well uh, it's afs.org Org, though, oh, sorry, afs.org is the international website and from there you can go to any website in the world. If you want to find out specifically about AFS Australia, it's afs.org.au and we have there anything available for young people who want to go on exchange, families who would like to host an exchange union in their families, um, schools who would like to engage with us and work on some of these workshops that I mentioned or some activities to, for professional development for their teachers, but also for their students. Does AFS uh, work in all all states in Australia? Yes, we are all in all states. Well, you'll be getting you'll be getting a call from the ACT soon. Uh, oh, fantastic! I, what, I, I think it's just fantastic. I know that's uh, one of the things that I loved about uh, uh, this year, um, even at my, my my daughter's preschool. Um, was you know that the teachers there organised a. Um, I don't even know what 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 we named it, but uh, what they named it, um, or I can, I can use the word we, you know, it was bring a cuisine from you know from home, you know, and and obviously from your culture or background, um, and it's fascinating because we we can do that because every classroom has an array of human beings that come from different you know parts of the world, and so it's fascinating, you know, that uh, yeah. we've all got you know a good half of us have got accents, and you know bit of broken English and, you know, all, all sorts of things to, you know, being first generation or, or third generation or, you know, ninth generation or whatever it may, or whatever it might be, you know, Aussies, it, it's, it's fascinating. Um, yeah. And, and it, it's just a great conversation to, to have to, to belong to the one. So um, yeah. you'll definitely get a call from the ACT, that's for sure. Well, I would love to. I, I was there recently and it's always a pleasure to go back to the ACT. What, what uh, age groups do you guys do? Well, exchange programs from 14 years old to, seven, to 18 mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. exchange programs. 
but workshops we do at schools, anything from any primary or high school or universities. Um, yeah. And right now, actually, we we are in the process of uh, placing our students for February 2020. So we have students coming from Italy, Germany, Switzerland, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, France for either six months or or 10 months next year to go to school here in Australia. So, yeah, there's plenty of opportunities. And can people also contact if they want to be a host family? Of course, they can host contact us. Everything is on the website, afs.org.au. They can also find us on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, either way to be a family, to send your kid abroad, to bring us to your school, anything that inspire you from this conversation, let's have a chat. Perfect. Now, before we finish up, I'm going to try and nail your name with the rolling R and then you can correct me and this can be part of our uh, inter, intercultural sort of um, curiosity. Marcella, Marcella. The second one, Marcella, just one, one roll of the R. Marcella. Perfect. There you go. I finally Perfect got it. Nation. I finally got it. I have, I have an issue with you. <laughs> well, my, mine is actually Neboisha. Oh, Neboisha. Oh, that's a bit harder. It's Neboisha. Neboisha? Yeah, a lot closer. Say it again. Neboisha. Neboisha. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Yeah, that, that, that's why it's Nesh because who's going to go out and start throwing out Neboisha in class? It's never going to happen. No. So I gave I gave a lot of the uh, relief teachers hell by making them call me Neboisha, but obviously with our normal teacher, it would just be Nesh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, very, very much appreciated for your time today. And I, I think the what you've described today for, with, with regards to what AFS does is, is, is absolutely incredible. Um, really, I think everyone, every state in Australia should be contacting to say, you know, we want you guys at our school to do these workshops and, and, and you know, for those who, who want to become, you know, host families or, or send send your, well, have that conversation with your children about whether they want to go out and, and uh, you know, experience an adventure but also, you know, a cultural learning experience and, you know, an awareness building sort of space, you know, I, I would highly, highly encourage it. So, it sounds absolutely incredible and uh, when my kids are ready I think I'll be having those conversations with them so uh, thank you very much for your time today and for coming onto the show oh, thank you Nesh it was fantastic I love the conversation thanks if you enjoyed this podcast please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review subscribe share it via social media and tell others about it start a conversation it's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources. And just lastly, if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team, develop your experience and get into some exciting work, come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out. I'd love to hear from you.